Reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Jesus said to the Jewish crowds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, unlike your ancestors who ate and still died. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. You be seated. So when St. John was writing his gospel, his was probably the last gospel written, he didn't foresee the need to put into his gospel the whole Last Supper scene that all the other gospels had. And besides that Last Supper, it was reenacted every day in the Mass. So instead, he emphasized this particular discourse by Jesus, this particular talk that Jesus had at the feeding of the 5,000, when he explains really what the Eucharist is all about. To learn how to do a Mass, how to do a Eucharist, we can look at the synoptics, we can look at St. Paul writing to the Corinthians, but to know what it really means what Jesus accomplishes in that act, we turn to this particular passage that scholars call the bread of life discourse. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will never die, but have life forever. Now imagine if you can, if you will, um, that you would be a journalist. Right there at this time in and Jesus is giving this talk and the people are very upset. They don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. It seems impossible. Surely Jesus can't, be, can't mean what he's saying. But of course, like every journalist, you know what you, you have to answer five questions. Who, what, where, when, why, and how? Now, Jesus in this discourse teaches us the who, the what, and the why that it is Jesus himself whom we consume in this Eucharistic feast, that it is, in fact, his very body and blood. As Jesus says, it, my body is true food, my blood is true drink, emphasizing this is real. This is not just some, some symbol, some parable. He emphasizes the reality of his body and blood that we will eat. And then the why, Jesus tells us, is so that we can have life. That we can have his life 
in us and that life that lasts forever. Well, as to the, the how, we learn that in the Mass, right? The Mass explains to us in the Last Supper of the Mass, we see how this takes place in this Eucharistic feast. And in fact, in the, of course, we've talked about the when. When Jesus and the apostles in the first century, they would meet daily for the, for the liturgy of the Eucharist, met daily for the breaking of bread and the liturgy. Because that was their understanding what Jesus meant in the, in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. So that on a daily basis they would gather together to share in the body and in the blood of Jesus. Now with, with that much emphasis on this particular event, on this particular aspect of our faith, we would think, well, this would be an easy thing for everybody. Everybody's going to jump up and believe this. But actually, obviously, from the very first time Jesus says this, he's, he's talking to his disciples, and the Scripture says that most of the disciples left because they could not accept this. So this has been a problem from the very beginning. And, of course, modern Catholics, in fact, Catholics of all ages, struggle with this understanding that Jesus has tried to impart to us. You know, there's a story in the gospel where a man comes to Jesus and he asks for a miracle. And Jesus tells him, if you believe, you will see the power of God. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And then adds, but help me with my unbelief. Isn't, isn't that how so many of us come to God we believe, but, there's all, but often there's some bit of, of doubt, some lack of understanding. How can this be? Well, God in his graciousness has spoken to the church time and time again by giving us little miracles here and there to help us grasp the truth and reality of this teaching that he gave on this day at the feeding of the 5,000. The worst, first miracle I know of was in the 8th century in a place called Lanciano, Italy. And there, as a priest was, was proclaiming the words of Jesus, this is my body, the host began to bleed. It, it actually transformed from bread into something fleshy and something bloody. It was a miracle. And in fact, so that, that little piece of host that became flesh was locked away in a glass case, and it's there today, 1,200 years later. But it's interesting, because it was never scientifically tested, of course, in the early, in the Middle Ages. They didn't have the means. But in 1971, there actually was a, a scientist who got permission to test this, this miracle to see what this really was. And what he discovered was that it was a piece of heart muscle. And what was amazing is that the blood in this sample, which he took in 1971, was still alive. It was fresh. It wasn't some dried up old 1200 year old piece of, of stale blood. It was alive and fresh. 
Other times, God has given us little miracles. In Orvieto, there was a, um, a, a host that began to bleed and has been kept, and it bled onto a corporal, you know, the little piece of cloth that we use on the altar to make sure that, that crumbs can't get scattered around. And that corporal is still on display 700 years later. There was a time in, in Portugal, not Portugal, yeah, Portugal. Sarveto, Portugal. This is an interesting story. A woman, her husband, she, she thought her husband was cheating on her. And to find out for certain, she went to a, a sorceress, a fortune teller, and asked her to, uh, to you know, find out, to tell her whether or not her husband was really cheating on her. And she said, the price for this information will be a consecrated host. Host, host. And you know, those who practice sorcery and fortune telling, sometimes they have uh, witchcraft things they do with consecrated hosts. So this woman went to Mass, she got a host and she kept it hidden and was going to take it to the sorceress as payment for this information. But as she was leaving the church, the host began to bleed. And so she took it home and she hid it in a trunk, but then the trunk began to glow and there's a light coming from it. So instead of going back to the sorceress, she went back to the priest and, and confessed. And so he went and, and retrieved this host that she had taken. And again, it's in a ciborium on display at this, at this parish church, has been since. But you know, we ask, do these happen, things just happen in the Middle Ages when we really don't have the kind of records we would like to have. But actually that's not true. Here um, in, within the 21st century in India, there was a host that began to form tiny droplets of blood at the consecration. And so the priest immediately said, locked it aside, set it up in the, in the tabernacle and checked it a couple of days later to see what had happened. And the blood had come together to form the face of Jesus on the host. Now, these, now, I know it's going to happen when you get home. Everybody's going to start Googling these things because you want to see the picture. Actually, you can find the picture online. And you can, find, you, you'll, you'll, you can spend the rest of the day studying stories of these miracles that God has given us from time to time because we, like the man in the gospel, yes, we believe, but sometimes we need help with our unbelief. But I want to talk about one story in particular that happened in Buenos Aires in 1996. And what happened there is uh, at the end of Mass, you know, the Eucharistic ministers stay and they clean up and, and one, of the one of the ministers, as, as she was walking out of the church, she found a host, she saw a host lying there that had been discarded. Well, you know, she doesn't really know where it came from, who did it, and, uh, and, but it might be consecrated, so she takes it to the priest and the priest uh, receives it from her and, you know, it's been on the floor, right? It's dirty. And this priest did what I do when people, you know, when I get those sorts of things, is you put it in some water and you let it dissolve. And then, you know, you can pour it out on church ground. That's, that's the respectful way to dispose of a, of a host that's been spoiled. And so he sticks it in the water. He puts it in the tabernacle for wait for it to dissolve. He checks it a few days later. He remembers, oh yeah, I've got, some, uh, I've got a host there I need to dispose of. And as he takes it out, he discovers that it's no longer 
bread. It's no longer mush, it's just what he's expecting. Instead, it, just like the miracle on Lanciano, has turned into something bloody, something fleshy. And he doesn't know what to do with it. So he calls his bishop, which actually happened to be Cardinal Jorge Bogolio, later known, later to become Pope Francis. This is when he was a bishop there. And he tells him, and I've got this, this, this host, I put it in water, and now it's something fleshy, something bloody. So the bishop says, well, get a professional photographer there. Take, get some photographs of this. And so that's what he did. He photographed it and then put it back in the tabernacle where it sat untouched for three years. And then the bishop said, um, whatever happened to that host? I mean, what, you know, what, what, what's the status of it now? And they bring it out and they see it's the same thing. It's, a, it's, it's something bloody, something fleshy in this, in this glass. So Cardinal Bergoglio, later Pope Francis, who's a very scientific guy, you know, he's a very smart and scientific guy. He says, well, let's, let's take a sample of that and let's have it tested. So they took a sample of this little piece of, of bloody flesh that was in the water and they sent it to um, a lab in New York, actually, Dr. Frederick Zugaba, who was and is a, um, a, a quite a somewhat famous uh, forensic scientist. He uh, has written books. He's a professor at, uh, at a college, as well as being a, a forensic scientist, you know, to help with, with police departments and investigations and they tested this and he came up with this conclusion now they didn't tell him where it came from they just brought him this this sample and said you know please test this for us so he tests it and says okay I can tell you several things about this I can tell you that it's a sample from a human heart because it's human DNA I can tell you that it comes from the left ventricle of the heart the, um, the quantity of white blood cells in this sample tells me first that at the time this sample was taken, this, this heart was alive. And also, because the white blood cells have embedded themselves into the very flesh of the heart, that tells me that whoever, um, whosoever heart this was, was uh, was under a great deal of stress. It looks as if he had been beaten severely about the chest before this sample was taken. A remarkable miracle. And so similar to that one of Lanciano 12 centuries before. Now all these stories, I think, tell us a couple of things. One of them is the seriousness of receiving the body and blood of Jesus, the reality of it, that in fact we are receiving Christ's own life into us. And the other thing I, I think we learn, which is really more of a plea, I think, that we, we hear in these stories, don't throw away Jesus. Remember how in Buenos Aires, how, the, how this whole story started. Someone had received a consecrated host and for whatever reason discarded it. 
cast it aside. And there are different ways we can do this. I mean, like we could physically receive the host and cast it aside, or we can just do that in our hearts, not take it seriously, not truly receive Jesus, to, to hold back and to think, I don't think this is really possible. This can't be true. Don't throw away Jesus. We struggle with mysteries. A hundred years ago, there were a lot of mysteries, right? There's so many stuff that we didn't understand about the world, about the universe, about the cosmos, so many things. And now in the 21st century, there's a, there are so, there actually, there seem to be many fewer mysteries. We know much more, both about the universe and space and also about the quantum world, what goes on inside of, an, of an, a very atom that everything is made out of. We've discovered so many things that we, there are so few mysteries. And so sometimes we struggle with mysteries. But just because something is a mystery doesn't mean it is not real. And I suppose that as we go through life, there will be some things that we, some mysteries we never understand. And I think likely, the life of God is a mystery that we may never understand but we can receive in the body and blood of Jesus and be transformed.